Hey, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of the Logic Podcast. A number of you asked for an audio version of Logic Live, so I thought, why not do a podcast? This way we can do some in-depth artist profiles, deep dive on tech issues, and just geek out about Flame, VFX, and so much more. This episode of the Logic Podcast is sponsored by AJA. AJA develops an extensive range of solutions for the professional video and audio market, from conversion devices to I.O. solutions, digital recorders, cameras, and more. The team at AJA is a real friend to the Logic community. They've sponsored prizes for the One Frame of White and the famous NAB parties. They make the best gear out there, so if you're looking for anything in the I.O. market, be sure to get it from AJA. This episode is also sponsored by Cinesis Oceana. Cinesis is my personal reseller. I've had a relationship with them for 15 years and could not do my job without them. They've sponsored all of the user groups in North America. They sponsor the One Frame of White broadcast, and they've sponsored prizes for the Logic Parties. Just all around true friends to the Flame community. If you have a need for anything in terms of your Flame system, getting it up and running, keeping it up and running, expanding, networking, remote working, call Cinesis. Find out more about their remote workflow solutions at www.cinesis.io. My guest today is none other than Joel Osis. Joel is an amazing flame artist who loves to give back to the community. He has a bunch of content available for free at joelosis.com. Get ready for a great conversation. We got into Joel's background, how he became a flame artist, his best and worst days on the box, a wild ride of a conversation with a true flame legend. Here's my chat with Joel Osis. What are you drinking? It's the beer. Oh, nice. Nice. Got a little coffee here. We're on different paths, I see. <laughs> yeah, this is the, well, it's much later here. No, you're 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 in New York time, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, we're on the same time zone. Um it's 8:30 here, 8:25. It was the metaphoric uh okay. later cuz it's New York, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just because it's me. I have this whole setup here. And um, every, like my camera and everything, like when you were on the show yesterday and you flipped your camera around to show everybody, I, 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 there was a part of me inside that went like, because I have everything rigged up here. Uh, <laughs> it took so long to get this right. I know I, what you I, mean, like to like, if with the wires and shit like that. With the wires and shit. And then like the camera, my DSLR is on one of those like magic arms, you mm -hmm. know, which is, I, I still don't understand how it works. Um, although I'm looking at the one knob, so yes, I understand how it works, but, uh, I, I know if I were to try to take that off of there, it would just never, it would never, oh, that one, that one, I wasn't scared. Cause that was my, um, that was my shitty, uh, Amazon $50 webcam that the one that was the oh, lighter one. Yeah. So that's the one that's just like on this big USB cable. I don't care. Whereas the other, like the camera cameras on a, a Ronin SC. It's funny. I got a, uh, <laughs> A stabilizer, <laughs> a gimbal, a gimbal for a tripod. It's great. <laughs> what were you shooting today? I just went outside. The moon was like looking cool. I've been trying to, I've been actually looking at uh, maybe getting a, like an astrophotography kind of telescope lens where you can get the adapter with the, mm -hmm. with the, uh, the IR cut filter built in for the frequencies. Cause I actually got some good photos the other day. Um, I went up uh, north to like a cottage and just with a, a one thirty five on the tripod at actually it wasn't a tripod. It was just on the ground pointed up with like longer, like 30 second exposure. Some of the photos looked really shitty on the camera and then I loaded them in and just gammed up and there was shit ton of stars and it wasn't too, 
like it wasn't moving too quick. You know, there's still a lot of detail. That's cool. wild. Yeah. I got, when I first moved to this house, um, and that's like 16 or 17 years ago, the guy next door um, was selling a telescope. It was mm -hmm. like, hi, you know, I'm your new neighbor. And he went, oh, it's nice to meet you. Would you like to buy this telescope? And it was, <laughs> uh, and I went, um, how much? And he was like, you know, I wired up Phil Donahue's house for, you know, like uh, home entertainment and he had me buy him a telescope and he didn't want it anymore. So I don't know, 300 bucks. And it was like a really expensive telescope. It was like, yeah, that shit can get expensive. And so I was like, well, that seems fair, you know, and then brought it home and he gave me in a, in a box, like a Corona beer box, like you get like 12, like long necks in, mm -hmm. there was all kinds of shit that went with that telescope. Like the um, auto tracker and stuff like that. The auto tracker. Yeah, although yeah, I think yeah, it was yeah. missing. It was definitely missing something. But um, there was a, a, a mount for the back of the telescope that you could, um, you could use to mount your DSLR. Mm -hmm. On like you take the lens off and you mount it right to the telescope and the telescope becomes your lens. And I, I took, um, I never got into like the astrophotography because I didn't have uh, the, the, uh, the tracker, you know, the motion mm -hmm. tracker for it. Mm -hmm. But I got some great stuff for the moon. Yeah. Uh, even just like, I think whatever DSLR I had at the time only, only recorded like 720p video. Mm -hmm. But I just, you know, found the moon and 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 hit record and just walked away, and then just like watching it move through frame, was yeah. just uh, there's something insane. beautiful about it, huh? Yeah, the first time you see the moon through a telescope, especially if it's like a a, a waning moon or a crescent, you know, when you have long shadows mm -hmm. on the surface and you see the mountains and everything, and it becomes a place. Yeah, it's just like transformative. Yeah, I agree. I had a telescope when I was little, but I just never. Uh... I moved it to every house I used to live at when I was younger up until I moved to Canada. And then uh, I just did a cleanse when I moved everything and just got rid of, literally I came over with a bag. That was it. No, uh, nothing. Just, just clothes and like a tiny little bit of keepsakes. That's it. Where are you so from, I'm, Joel? I'm a hybrid. So I was born in, uh, I was born in Canada. So I was born in Saskatchewan, um, which is like a place you never want to be fucking born. <laughs> it's like uh there's a joke that it, cause it's so flat that the worst thing about when your dog runs away in Saskatchewan is it sucks cause you can see it for the next fucking five days. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's just boring and flat and freaking cold in the winter. Like, like Toronto's not as bad. And I've lived in Calgary too, which is the, like towards Vancouver side, the next uh, province over. But yeah, I grew up there till I was like, I think I was nine or 10 when I moved to Australia with my parents. And then, uh, I've kind of spent half and half, probably a little bit more time in Australia than here. But um, yeah, I'm like a hybrid. When I'm in uh, Canada, they think I'm from Australia. And then when I'm in Australia, they think I'm Canadian. So it's, it's great. When you're in Australia, they know you're Canadian. Is that what you mean? Well, no, it's just like, because I have just anything that's not quite the Australian slang. You're not from there. And they make sure you know. It. <laughs> so you just go into, you go into blend in mode, you know, like you just, Say stuff oh, yeah. so you don't you don't get people saying, "Oh, where are you from?" Because then you're that dude, you know. Fuck that. Then you're labeled. You're marked, rather. Yeah, you're the guy. You're the oh, you're the cool blah 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 guy. Oh, shut up. I just want to chill. <laughs> <laughs> so, where in Australia uh, did you grow up? Um, I grew up out west, which is uh, it's kind of shitty. It was a, there's a there's a like a it was really shit actually. It was um it was called St Mary's, which um yeah it's west, so it's like. I want to say an hour and a half to get to if you were to go to the water. So it was like inland and it was kind of like suburbia and 
St. Mary's and like, if you go further West, there's like Penrith there and that's kind of just kind of shittier ish. But then I, when I was, uh, when I was younger, I uh, moved to uh, the Northern beaches, which is like um, the places most people know, like Manly, like Manly beach. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lived in Manly for a bit and just then kind of for the most of my time there I lived around the, uh, the North, like Northern beaches, like the North shore area kind of thing. And like, what were you into as a, as a kid? I was really into like skateboarding and skate videos and stuff like that. And like, uh, did you make your own skate videos or I did I used to, a long time ago, I used to be sponsored and like, uh, that's what got me into this. But then I had an injury, um, that had an injury where I essentially was filming something for, um, for like a video. And then I got what I wanted to do on a, like a, I want to say like a nine or 10 stair handrail. And then I was like, oh, I want to get another angle. So we tried to shoot it so they could cut because I knew I was going to be cutting it. And I essentially balled myself. So the board slipped out. I balled myself, flew forward, popped my shoulder out, and then woke up in hospital with like my balls in a, with pouches on them, like, you know, white pouches in my arm in a sling. And I was like, yeah, maybe I might not <laughs> kind of do this competitively and try and like. Oh my God. You didn't save those pouches, did you? Uh, no, hopefully my balls still work, but you know, <laughs> we'll see one day. <laughs> we'll be praying for you, Joel. But yeah, after that, after that, I did, um, I did what always, what people always do when they don't, um, when they still want to stick around, but don't do it. I used to like do like skate the priesthood. Oh no, <laughs> that's another story. My dad was a pastor, but anyway, oh, <laughs> it's complicated, but no, I just um, stepped in it. Wait. <laughs> No, I used to do like um, uh, little skate camps for kids and stuff, like teach them how to ollie and their balance. And then after that, I used to do like, um, I did a lot of uh, commentating. So I used to do the, um, uh, like the biggest one, the event I did was the, it's in uh, Melbourne. It's the Rod Laver Arena. It's like, it's where they usually play the tennis there. But there was like 14,000 people. It was like the Globe World Cup. I got to like commentate and like, it was pretty fun because I like, I like talking shit as you probably picked up (laughs) and when the best bit is like people get nervous about like speaking or like presenting. It's like, I think it's the best thing ever because you know that you've got the microphone and they're just there to listen. So it's like, who cares? You know? Oh yeah. 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 It's uh, uh, I learned that at a young age. It's not nerve wracking. Like you have them, you know what I mean? It's the one time I think I feel in control, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, not, I don't want to view right to flame. We'll get there. I promise. But like, that's kind of my favorite thing about the job uh, is running the room because that's also uh, why that's just, there's such a small, like uh, male or female aside. I feel like that's why there's such a small niche with flame too, because it takes a very certain type of personality because there's some people who are brilliant and like way better than me with compositing, but, but, but aren't good with, uh, the dealing with people part, right? That's the really big part. But yeah, if it's it's literally like the essentials for like for flame because it's it's half the job, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Can like not convincing, but by telling them why and how you got to where you are. And if you can't do that, like like any job or anything, when anyone's shopping something or looking for a service, they're going to try something else. Mm-hmm. And again, that's client dependent. So. Uh, how old were you when you when you uh, when you left Australia when you came back to Canada? Like when I first came back to Canada, it was right after high school. So I want to say, I want to say I was nineteen or twenty. I can't remember. I might have, 
graduate either graduated i think i was up a year so i was younger because when i came over the the education system put me up a year so i was like when everyone was graduating i was still 17 i think and everyone else was like 18 like already turned 18 almost 19 and then the first thing i did was i did a season in uh, fernie um in dc after high school and i um just you know did the travel thing i liked it was, you know, snowboarding's in the same realm as skateboarding, kind of. And I just wanted to try it out. And I had citizenship in Canada, so it was easy just to go over and try it. But I ended up doing a season. I was just doing, like, dishwashing, right? Like, uh, so I could get the free season pass. Yeah. And uh, then I met a, a dude that introduced me and said, oh, you should come to Calgary, which is probably, like, three or four hours, I want to say. I think it's around three or four hours from Fernie. And it's, like, more of, like, a city rather than a, you know, snow town. And then, yeah, I met, um, I met his family and his family were really nice. And they uh, offered me a place to stay for free initially. And just said, you know, like, uh, that's the one thing I've noticed with Canada compared to my experience in Australia is everyone's a lot more uh, nice. <laughs> like, uh, like I've, I've had moments in Australia where my car is broken down in traffic, like peak hour traffic. I'm like, and it's my fault because I had a Saab, Saab 900. <laughs> But but my reasoning for that was I got that Saab initially because the first car I ever bought was a Saab 900S or whatever. And that dude went to half a million clicks, no problems. So I was like, I was like, this, this is the best car ever. And then that was like my third one that was a fucking lemon. So I learned my lesson. But anyway, I, I stopped, like car breaks down in traffic. It's like there's smoke piling out. There's something wrong. I think the transmission blew or some shit. And I'm pushing it off the road, literally like, you know, in traffic, pushing it, trying to get it out of the way. And instead of people helping, there's people slowing down to roll down the window and go, get the car off the fucking road, you idiot. <laughs> or like just people swearing when I'm going past. Then I had a similar experience in Cochrane, like, which is just outside Calgary when I was living there. And it was during winter, but like um, everyone had to stop because we were going up and it was too ice. And, um, you know, anyway, I had to stop and, my car wasn't even smoking. I had three people pull over, offer me help. One of them invited me, like the family invited me over for dinner that night. <laughs> it's like, it's so polar opposite of like, it's very different. Why do you think, Australia. why do you think that is? Why is everyone it's, so much nicer in Canada? I don't know. I don't know. I, I found like, this is just my opinion. Cause again, like they're probably someone who either watches this or knows someone from there. And it's like, fuck you. But I found like, <laughs> The Vancouver side is more like Sydney where it's a level of uh, like Vancouver, LA and Sydney are very similar to me because there's a niceness, but it's also like, it feels like a, a layer of niceness just to be mm -hmm. polite, like a politeness. Whereas I've found um, when I was in Cochrane, which is just one province over and specifically here too in Toronto, there's more of a, just a, every, like when someone says, Hey, let's, you know, Let's hang out. They actually mean it. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, a little, it threw me a bit when I first came here. Because uh, the first place I lived at, my, my neighbor, the first time I met him, he invited me over. We had a scotch or whatever. He's like, welcome to the neighborhood, which is unheard of too. Because it's like, I don't even know. You just invited me in your house. I probably hope I don't get murdered, but I didn't. <laughs> and then he, the next, then yeah, that night he's like, if you ever, um, if you ever want to use a, he had a pickup truck. He's like, everyone needs a pickup, just get set up. Cause I literally came up with nothing. It's like, you want to do an IK trip? Just let me know. You can use my car. And in my head, I was like, 
you don't mean that. You don't mean that. <laughs> so yeah. I hit him up the next day, right? And I was like, hey, I'm thinking of doing an Ikea trip. I'm test this theory. Throws me the keys. He's like, yeah, just bring it back by a blah, blah, blah. I'm like, shit. It's, it's, it's weird. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I feel like it's more of a, it's more dog eat dog in, and this is just talking from Sydney standpoint too, because I know it's different in Melbourne and Australia and like all the different places like Queensland. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, I feel like that side, like LA, because New York has a shit ton of like flames and like, you know, post houses. Like, I feel like it's not as, like, say, for instance, if you were in Australia and someone called you and you were freelance, most people wouldn't recommend someone else because they didn't want the work to go away, mm-hmm. which I think is really stupid. Um, but, but like here, like either I'd get recommended by someone else or I'd recommend someone else. Like they just, it's more of like, a, I don't know. And maybe it's because there's more work too. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that, that could be, I don't know. I've, I've always found that like it, it goes hand in hand with confidence. True. You know, I mean, if you're confident within, in yourself and your abilities and your relationships with your clients and, and, and all that stuff, you, you're not worried that someone is going to take the work just because you recommend them. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, I mean, also it goes hand in hand. If I'm going to recommend you for something, that's my reputation too. I, you know, I put my name on the line recommending you. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of how I was, that's how I was taught. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Maybe it's where like the, the place, like, cause in Australia it is like, um, like the, the last place I worked at in Australia is closed down now. And like, uh, there's just a, a lot less work to go around. And in comparison, like, like when I first came from Australia to here, like I had a full-time job for flame that the last place I worked at in Australia. But when I went from there to here, I just noticed it was huge. And then when I went to New York and then when I was freelance for a bit, I was like, Holy shit, this is even more of the hub. Like I thought it was, Mm -hmm. you know, way busier here. Whereas like when I go from New York to Toronto, Toronto feels like a theme park that's closing. There's like a few (laughs) people out, you know, like it's everyone's happy because it's all the families on their holidays, you know, waving nice. I don't know. But there is there is that vibe of work too in New York though too, right? That hustle. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's, I mean that's kind that's of in the I DNA. Love. Yeah. That's like, in the DNA of the place. And and uh, you know, I think also um so much of the the uh, environment of post production now, you know, there's no room for error. Mm-hmm. You know, if if there's one like thing that I say has uh changed the most in in my long and storied career. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that kind of compression of time and compression of budget and all those outside forces pushing in have made mm-hmm. it so much harder uh, for um, either for younger people to get an opportunity or for you to even try something new because mm-hmm. most of the time you're handed something like even uh, the, the Rogers stuff you showed yesterday, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to do this. You got a day or you have two days. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. I mean, hopefully you're the kind of person who's been like, you know, experimenting along the way so you can try something new. But um, I think that, that, that also speaks to the, uh, how busy flame artists are or how much work there is for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, every job is mission critical. Yeah. Every job is mission critical. And so if you get somebody, if you get a freelancer that's good, you got them, you're, you know, they're, they're on your list forever. You yeah, know what I mean? For sure. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's sink or swim, you know, you either, mm-hmm. you either have it or you don't. Like you have that drive to, you know, that, you know, you have to, there's no, oh, sorry, I couldn't do that. Yeah. You no. Know? Yep. That doesn't exist. Not for a long time. But I find here too that like the person who um, will tell you to your face, fuck you, is the honest and genuine New Yorker. No, no, no I appreciate tell. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. I, I, I prefer to know where I stand. 
than to, you know, than to get lip service. Yeah. Same, same. So what did you, what did you go to university for? Or did you go to university? I didn't, I'm a uh, self-taught. So I did, uh, back when I did do this. Are you still paying off your student loans? Then? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> it's tough. Maybe uh, this no. year. <laughs> no, I, um, so from like, I started doing skateboard videos in iMovie and then my, my dad got a CD of like Final Cut 3 or something. I tried that for a bit. I got used to it. I didn't really like it as much, but I liked the editing side. And then I saw um, Spike, Spike Jones that did the girl skateboard videos. Is he the one? Or is it Spike Lee? I think Spike Jones. I think Spike Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So he did like one where it's from way back when the, it's called Girl Yeah Right. And they were floating on their skateboards. So they were green screen skateboards. They put the shadows back in. There were people doing like board slides down handrails, but they were floating. And that's what like triggered my brain into like the effects side. I really wanted to like explore that. And then that was around the time when uh, when Apple bought Shake and killed it, but killed made that, it accessible. Yeah. yeah, that was when I bought it. I bought that for 500 bucks back in the day and then um, just had the manual because everything used to come with the manual. And I read and read and read and got good at the Shake side of it. And then mm-hmm. that's what kind of got me into the compositing side. And then from there I did... The next software I learned was actually Avid DS, which didn't deserve the death that it's received today because <laughs> it was a it was a competitor with Smoke and Flame back in the day, but Avid didn't know what the frick to do with it, you know? Yeah. 100%. It had 16-bit uh, and 32-bit float before everything. Yep. Um, so, I, yeah, I had a job at a TV network um, just doing movie end frames for promos every night on the Avid DS, and I would uh, just it was a sausage factory, right? Like you get your stills, the Photoshop people, the graphics guys sit down and then it's like, come up with something cool or the, or you have, you know, have a reference and then do that. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually I've, I've got wind that they had, I think they had a, I think they had t- one or two smokes back then when it was like called smoke HD or whatever. Yeah. And then eventually the place got a flame, but while there were still smokes there, I used to go in on the weekends and force myself to redo what I did in the DS and try and translate it to, to flame and that was in the painful like that the smoke that i learned on was pre-action so it was just the dve module oh yes there was no there was no batch effects it was just all history mm-hmm. <laughs> and if anyone listening that is a younger flame artist what history was was fucking retarded <laughs> like just being able to to double click into a batch and then have all of your setup there is amazing because history used to be you'd render something out with history you double click on it and then you'd have to choose one source to change out. And it was just, oh. And you had to double click on the little H too, right? And if I remember yeah, correctly. On the little H and then hopefully you put it, like you remember the right step because each bit, if you're doing intricate things, kind of look the same. So, but the only good thing with that was that you had to think more uh, methodically, yeah. which is uh, what a lot, of, a lot of compositors are. But also back then, like even with the flame side, like it was... Uh, inferno and fire and whatever like you still had to do that you still had to think really really methodically you know oh totally i remember that i remember uh the the first inferno first flame that i was on i think it had like well the first machine i was on was a flint that had three thousand frames of sd if i remember Mm -hmm. but there was no hd but even the first flame i was on had such limited space and there was no batch Mm -hmm. so everything the reels we had on the desktop were you know um in, in were also played a part in, in kind of like how you, the order of processing, you know, 
Mm-hmm. I got to do this over this, and then I have to put the color correct on it, and then I have to put the glow on it, and then I have to fade it, it really out. It really made you think about, like, again, what maths are you going to use? What passes do you need? And you mm-hmm. didn't have the, the, the luxury of a multi-output action with all this stuff. You yep. just had a matte output. Or sometimes you didn't, and you just had to do a separate one where you turn off that and you just output the matte. Yep, totally. It work. But it made you like you had to, you know, you had to be able to see in your in your mind's eye what you know what the end what the end was, what the result was. Mm-hmm. You had to see it before you made it. That's true. You know? And um, I, I kind of feel uh, that's that was an invaluable uh, bit of training, you know, to to come up through. Especially you know now where you know the the, the majority of of uh, the client interactions that I have are I'll know it when I see it. You know. Yeah. In terms of what do you want. Yeah. Um, and so that whole thing, like you were talking about before, being able to run the room, being able to talk to the client, being able to figure out what it is they really want. Lots of times you're, you're, um, you're hearing one side of a phone conversation, you know, either literally mm-hmm. or figuratively where everybody's freaking out or they're complaining or something just isn't right. And being able to figure out what it is that is really the problem, mm-hmm. um, is like, it's gold. It's everything. It's, it's why it's why like flame again, like without flame, we I don't feel like we could do it at that same speed and level, but like you have to know like I feel like it's a good gauge for a flame person. Like when I did eventually learn flame and then uh essentially they were like people started to know that I was getting better at the flame and the the smoke and then they bought a flame. Anyway, then they rejigged like the internal structure. So there was like the flame artists were with the designers whereas before they had the suites. So that was already starting to happen before even like, this is probably five or six years before the smoke on Mac thing where it was just like still not turnkey system, you know, what well, was mm-hmm. a turnkey system. And yeah, I, um, I ended up having to teach senior people at my job who were the DS artists how to use flame when I was on a junior salary and it really pissed me <laughs> off at the time. It's like, I went in Not here. Not as much my, as it pissed them off. I'm sure. I'm sure. But it's like, I'm sorry. Like uh, if you don't have that, dr- like, I don't know. I, I showed them and, but it, it would be frustrating just knowing, you know, especially when you're younger, like uh, just knowing that you're making this and they're probably on way more and you're like, what the fuck? But then also with that, I like one of my, my manager there at the time, um, well, the, the creative director, came up to me. It was the craziest interaction I'd ever had. He's like, he came up to me and uh, he's like a bit more flamboyant gay guy. So he's got like that, um, Joe, you know, he's very like expressive and, you know, but he's cool. He's cool. Um, How would that uh, guy order um, a martini? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But he came up to me one, uh, one day, this is like about three months into where I was training those people. And he's like, Oh, Joe, have you, have you gotten a pay rise yet? I was like, like I looked at him like kind of a little bit like, <laughs> are you fucking with me right now? Like, what do, do you, you want to borrow think? my pickup truck? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I haven't yet. He's like, I'll sort that out. And in my head, I was like, whatever. And like two weeks later, I think I got like a 70 grand pay rise. It was stupid. I didn't even ask. <laughs> and then I was like, holy shit. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And, and then, but then after that, they like, uh, and that's happened like uh, every couple of years for you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, when I when I decided to leave and I went to Postside, um, yeah, it essentially came to when I was leaving. Uh, I got a call off the CEO of the network, and he said, "I hear you're leaving," and blah blah blah. And he's like, "What's it going to take for you to stay?" And I was like, I threw out like a stupid number. I think it was like three fifty, four hundred, or something. Like I was just like, "Fuck it," and he's like, "Done." 
And I was like, I'm going to have to call you back. Shit. I was like, fuck. <laughs> and then I had to have a really hard think about it, right? It was like... Um, and that man's name was Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, the guy who was the head of their ACP magazines. Uh, but yeah, he was the other guy's boss. But yeah, I, it was it was a good lesson. And um, I could have just done it for that. And like, but I didn't, it wasn't just about that. Obviously, always, you know, with everything, money is an important factor. And no matter how much you say, unless, you know, you dedicate your life to not relying on money or living in smaller mains or whatever. I don't know. Obviously, money's important to me. <laughs> right. So far, my pursuit of money has always been in pursuit of not having to rely on money. <laughs> Pretty much. No, it was, it was more I knew that I was, if I stayed there too long, they already owned me. I was already there kind of every weekend. Um, not, and to be fair, I did get compensated on the weekend when I did have to come in. But they already owned me for when I was making, you know, not that. So I was worried if how much they would owe me once I was on that, you know. They call them golden handcuffs for a reason, man. Yeah. So I just, uh, yeah, I jumped out and uh, I'm glad I did. And that's kind of when I started. It was just before that. Like, it was when I started the training stuff. Mm-hmm. When I started the training stuff is when I was, because I think a year later, a year and a half later is when Smoke on Mac came out. But that's when I started to want to like just have that stuff there for people who don't have it. Because back then it was a manual or it was, it was when there was, there was still some other, there was either Smoke or Flame ones on the Autodesk website but it sounded like a robot read them. And I know that's yeah. probably mean. And they were, there was just no in between, right? Like the Grant K ones, his original ones, when he was, um, had the Southie accent, the South African accent. Um, those were really useful because you could tell, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but you could tell he's behind the box every day. Um, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you could tell it was coming straight from an artist, but it was still also at the time too, like I, I, I still felt like there was like a fundamental lack of, this is more of, and again, I'm, I can't say my tutorials are, hey, here's a, some really, really easy beginner ones, but I'm trying to do that more with the, um, when I get back to the uh, real world flame stuff, because that's supposed to be like you're sitting with an artist mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he's showing you through how to do it. But there was just, it was, there was a gap, like, uh, and there was also, like, you could Google any other software, even like Shake or Fusion or even Nuke back then, which is still like in house or just out of digital domain. You can still find tutorials on stuff. And I just got sick of, I just didn't want it to be like the DS. I hear you. You saw that, you saw that, like you said, die an unfair death. Yeah. And I, I wanted it to be, you know, easy for people. Again, there was, I think that was around as well when there was FXPHD stuff too. I didn't like that it was like, there's either like this tiny snippet that you have to cardio know stuff for, or you read the manual. And again, you couldn't just, you needed to be at a place that had it back then too. Yeah. Or you pay, which, and again, I, I've done an FXPHD course. I like, I like the guys that do it. But that's expensive if you're not, you know, if you're not sure if you're going to take that dive into it too. Mm-hmm. And that was when their pricing model was different too, I think. That was when it was like you had to buy the specific course. You had to choose your three or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that was know? how it was at the beginning. Yeah. Your price and that's free. And that's fine, but it's more or... like I felt like there should be like, a, you know, some kind of free, free knowledge out there. For people in that way, mm-hmm. yeah, flame was always weird. It was always uh, like the, the 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 bastard stepchild. You know what I mean? It was always kind of fit that weird kind of uh, pl- place in the in the, in the market. I'm trying to not use phrases like place in the market, but you know, it, it was always that thing that was either too difficult to describe or um, 
too uh, complicated. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, you know, it's, you're not going to jump into flame to, to put together a bar mitzvah video. I mean, you could, and I have, but you know, yeah. <laughs> like, so when it comes to things like um, finding training that, that works on every possible level back in the day, um, getting access to the tool was the most important thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And then usually the fact that you work somewhere where you had access to one of these kind of rare toys meant that there was resource, there was someone there, there was a resource there that, that could be a, a teaching resource or just someone to bounce ideas off of. Uh, the democratization of, of, of flame uh, kind of didn't go hand in hand with uh, the the training or the tutorials and again I agree. And yeah. between Grant and and uh, Sibyl they I mean they've done a tremendous amount of work and I applaud them for it but I think I always thought maybe it was because Flame didn't know what it was or, or what it wanted to be um, I think it just maybe it, from a, a messaging or a marketing standpoint I don't know if it was that it's just I think it 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 are like you know it was in that space of like they knew they had a thing going they were charging you know a lot first you know the turnkeys and i think it was a case of like they're making they were making like good money on that stuff back then and it was like well it's not broken why fix it that's what i think but yeah like the democratization of everything kind of i think made it better like i remember the flame anniversary edition bar one job that i wanted to kill myself it was like i had to babysit a render every 45 minutes and wake up um because every time when you know, I was getting updated renders from 3D, but that, that was when, when you would go into the media, like import through batch, and it would always freeze. There's just so many like mm-hmm. things. And, you know, I still, again, it was, I think that one was pushed out too early, but um, I still, the thing that I still love and stand by is like, it's just, and not to say that other software is kind of doing it now because subscription kind of made it more like that, but I still feel like it's kind of works in its favor that flame is still not as mainstream in that way. And it's not as mainstream in that way for a reason, like us, like we were saying, because it takes a certain type of person, but like, it's cool because it still feels like we can talk to the, the dev team more or mm-hmm. get like direct line more rather than the person that is the, say at Adobe, who's just literally paid to scan the forms and type the generic response. And then he types in what they said, you know, like it, it, I still feel like there's, there's more of a, like, you can tell, like when I've been to Autodesk, I can tell that like they, they, they love what they're doing and like, and, and they're obviously fucking amazing at what they do, but it's like, it's just nice to, I don't know. I feel like that is, that would be harder to do from another piece of software unless you do someone or I don't know. It feels like, Kind of special, but also I got kind of spoiled because of the the marketing campaign I got to do when I got to go there. But it's even before that, it's still like, yeah. Do you mean your superhero picture? <laughs> yeah, with my sweaty armpits and cat eyes in the background. Yeah, that was your. What was your superhero? Uh, uh, I think it was the professor or the mad professor. I think you're right. Or something. If you had to describe what kind of flame artist you are, how would you describe yourself? <sighs> It's a tough one. I'm, uh, I'm very much, I'll always take time out of my, my day to, to help someone. Um, and I think people know that, um, like I do some training at work too, for, um, some of the junior artists, uh, we were doing it just before this stuff where it was like a, a day every month or whenever they picked where they choose an area they want to learn a bit more about. 
I don't know. I just, I love, I love the teaching side of things too and showing someone and then seeing it click too and seeing someone take something. And I don't know. I just, I'm like anyone, I can get uh, short under pressure a little bit. I don't like, I hope I don't snap at people, but like I can be very, uh, hold it in and that's harder. But that's where also when I was freelance, it was good because it gave me a chance to not always have the big jobs on my shoulders when I was just a cog in the wheel instead of just, you know, it's all on me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a part of that is too, because where I'm at now, I'm part of, there's three other uh, senior flame people. So it's not all on me, which helps. But yeah, I feel like I'm just a very technical, analytical, but I also always try to, I have a very certain way of doing things that I like, like for, I have a limit for when I'd like to show uh, tests. I, I have this, it's, I have like a cutoff. It's like, I don't like, I know some people love doing the tests and doing all the, like the showing all these things before something's done. But I, I, I'm someone who's like, I'll show a little, but I'm not going to kind of give you all my time because I, I can't, I can't uh, kill myself like that. Cause if I am doing a job and once I take on a job, I'm all in on that job, I mm-hmm. guess. So up until like, I also like, don't like, uh, so since I started full time at where I am at now, I still haven't, uh, they have like a calendar where they book us and whatever. I still don't check the calendar. <laughs> I just wait for like a Slack message or an email. So for me, it feels like I'm still freelance. Um, that's the thing for me is when I did go freelance, it was, uh, it just showed me that I don't have to kind of stress as much. Cause I used to be a lot more stressed and under pressure. And I feel like, like everyone too, I was, I was more, uh, when, as a younger artist, I was a lot more, uh, I'd see stuff on TV that looked kind of, you know you see something on tv and it looks kind of like they rushed it out or there's like a Mm -hmm. weird edge that you know no one caught but you know the person that did it knew or didn't care (laughs) and i used to be it used to really piss me off when i was younger you know i used to be it it really used to piss me off like because i knew i had to work to where i got to and like you know there's someone there that's not doing that but as i got you know like further in my career and uh fucked over a few more times (laughs) Broken. I know that it's, yeah, but I know that it's, it's a case of you don't know the whole story until uh, like why that happens. You don't know if they had to suddenly, like they were finessing that and then suddenly they had to paint out some stupid thing or, you know, you don't know how anything got anywhere. And, mm-hmm. um, and again, that's also part of how, part of why I like dealing with difficult, uh, I think that's what dealing with difficult clients has taught me too. And, and like difficult situations, you know, it's, the more the more you do that the more you appreciate the good jobs but also it teaches you that like you know everyone's answering to someone else and people unless they're an asshole uh, people aren't you know intentionally trying to screw up your day you know yeah <laughs> i don't know if the people at work would agree but i just i i'm also like a big smart ass at work and i'll give everyone shit <laughs> and like like i like to troll one of the artists there david like i got uh leafs tickets for hockey one time and like it's just like, you know, in Australia, you always give every, like a dude gives dude shit. It's normal. And that's where I'm happy because my owners, two of them are Aussie. So they understand my sense of humor. You, but, pass. you know, I used to troll David. Like I trolled him with the guy, the, the client we took to the hockey game. And I was like, where's your, uh, where's your ticket? And we we're both laughing at him. We posted it on Instagram and stuff like that. <laughs> my, 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 uh, my flame suite got a 4k monitor upgrade and I did the same thing. I was like, where's your monitor? Me laughing at him. And I like to fuck around and like, it's, I, I feel like if I can't be myself and I'm the same in my sessions too. That's the other thing. I'm a, I'm a very, uh, 
I'm very, how I am now is kind of how I'm in my sessions. I'm not, uh, I don't like blow smoke up people's asses. I, I'm honest if people ask for my opinion and I'll give my input if I feel like it's, you know, valid and, you know, worth putting my, my two cents in. Cause again, you don't know the whole story of how the job came in and got to where it is. Yeah. Like kind of what you see is what you get. And I am a smart ass to people too. Like, oh, sometimes I did it earlier in my career where I'd like clients would walk in and I'd be like, shit, fuck you. Just to see if they'd even like notice. No, but that actually ended up being a really good gauge initially because one, 90% of the time they wouldn't even look at you or even recognize you were there. Mm -hmm. Or two, if they did see it, then you could know that they're actually listening and you weren't just the guy pushing the button behind the thing too. Oh yeah. You know, it's like dropping a really bad joke at the start of a session just to see where you're at. Right. Yep. Oh, totally. Yeah. I used to get um, angry a lot frustrated a lot you know, when I was younger and a lot of it had to do with like the, uh, the things you couldn't control, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the cut changed, uh, the schedule changed, uh, they unapproved something, you know? Um, and then I, I, I remember having like in a, almost like an epiphany at one point and going, you know, it's always going to be that way. The cuts never going to be locked. The ship date is never going to matter. Mm-hmm. You know, stop obsessing over them. It's true. You know? And what I really try to do is, uh, is constantly adapt, um, either like the plan or my methodology or the schedule, you know, um, uh, for the whole company, uh, around that one constant, which is that nothing's constant, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, just figure out how to be more, uh, prepared for that inevitable, like, you know, last minute fucking change that's going to happen. You yeah. Know? And that's the thing, like, that's, that's what, Essentially, it's what we're doing in a session when we're getting stuff thrown at us anyway. It's like, okay, so that's that. So then this, so this is what I have to do. And you have to kind of problem solve that, right? It's like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So I'll do this. You know, it's, yep. it's true though. It's, it's really, it's easy. It all to, goes back to like being able to see stuff, to being able to see it, mm-hmm. you know, being able to visualize it and not just like, uh, you know, your whole comp from the very beginning, but okay, what are the five things that could go wrong? Or, you know, based on the, other the previous 12,000 logo comps that I've done, mm-hmm. you know, how should I build this so that I can make the changes that I know are going to come up, you know? That said, sometimes I'm all over the shop. With some of the things I do, I do the same, but then some of them, I, I like to just, and again, this is dependent on the shop, but I like to just explore and try it a different way. I don't like it mm-hmm. when you have like a preset thing you go to for everything, because I feel like it's, uh, even if it's your preset, I just feel like it's like, uh, you forget certain things. Oh yeah. You get, you get rusty or you get bored. That was the thing with me is I would just get bored. Mm -hmm. You know, my way of learning uh, was always, you know, I'll go through a tutorial or someone will show me, you know, how to do something. And then, okay, well, if, if you told me to type a two into the little box here, let me try a three and a one Mm -hmm. and a five and a negative six and like take every slider and widget and variable and see how far I can push them to kind of paint the whole Mm-hmm. picture but yeah I, I i i just get bored if i don't try something new uh whether it's a new tool or a new technique or something that i saw yeah i've yeah. never been afraid to try something new just because you know yeah and what if? again that's what's good about for me what even all software right now is it's constantly changing you know and it's great mm-hmm. it's exciting that's what keeps it uh keeps it interesting i think do you ever have anything go totally south like what was the most fucked up session you ever had I got hit on in a session once. It was really weird. <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting that, but all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was weird. 
that was on a job where I had to paint out. They shot it um, Phantom and it was like for a serial thing. And uh, they didn't have the budget for CG. So they had the budget for a Phantom. So anyway, I ended up having to take out natural parts of like all the dust of the cornflakes and um, make it look more CG. And the director happened to be a chick was like uh, just saying inappropriate things. And I was like, cool, cool. Just, but I had to keep working and finish it, but that was really, really weird. That's good. <laughs> That's a good one, man. Um, I mean, the, there is one, like for, I guess, the job that's gone south and, you know, and I think it's good to hear if you are an artist because everyone has had those jobs. Um, I was working for um, for the guys at Art Gel in New York. Um, I had to do a thing for them for, uh, I want to say it's like a chewing gum thing. Anyway, we had uh, two things we were doing and one of them, I didn't end up billing him for the time I wasted on it because it just fucking, I, I, I felt so fucking failed with it. It was a horse with a trainer in a nightclub um, that you had to get rid of the the trainer and the the um, you know the, the stirrups and straps on the horse because mm-hmm. it was making it dance. And to top it off, there was interactive lighting. The lights were shifting, and the horse was moving so much that it wasn't just like a, a planar track. And again, try tracking a, a quadruped or anything with like curve on it. It's mm-hmm. anyway. It started with that, and then it went to uh, then it was get that done, get that removed, and then it had this massive schlong and it was like, we had to get rid of that too. And this is, that big, track, this is did that track? Well, it did. It, it should have, it should have. Um, but yeah, no matter what I could do with that, every approach I, I threw <laughs> fucking so many hours at that. And I think I wasted two days just trying to get it there. And it just, it just looked like shit. And I, I was totally embarrassed. Um, John, the um, the EP in in uh, at Art Jail in New York, who's an amazing, lovely guy. I, I I contacted him and I apologized. I finished the other shots and I said, "Man, I I'm fucked on this and I can't get it done." And I'm so I'm sorry and I'm not going to bill you. And he was he was totally cool. And um, mm-hmm. and I think that actual spot for that particular one went away. So I don't know if it was other ones that were problematic too. But like it was, I guess the again. Um, like I, I've always said, I'm not, I'm by no means the world's best at anything, but also that, that fail, uh, really let me know when to really say no to something too. Like if I see something and I know, you know, when you see something, your gut's like, Oh, that's going to be fucked. But then sometimes you try it and it's like, actually, I wasn't that bad, but that was like a moment for me where I was like anything, anything face or with animals or like interactive lighting just to be way more attentive to when you're quoting it or or like deciding how long it'll take or yeah that was painful and it's also again that was it was also when i was freelance too and in freelance you don't really get a chance to say no to when you get a job either you know you just have to do it you know but so it would have been a job that if i was uh staff somewhere i probably would have gone hey i i i don't like that just looks like a nightmare like no, thank you. Please go away. You know, yeah. Dude, give you, I, you know, kudos to you because I've had freelancers uh, in the past who've had who who hit a wall, you know, mm-hmm. or or something went south and have said the exact same thing to me, like you know, I'm sorry, and uh, I'm not going to bill you for the time, and I bring that person right back. No, you and know? that's the thing. I kept getting work from them a lot too. It's um, it's yeah. 
it, again, it's 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 like any moment when you fucking hit the wall or fail. It's like super humbling. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like anything. It's how you handle yourself with after shit, right? With anything, mm-hmm. you know. But oh, yeah, same, yeah, with an employer or with clients or with anything, yeah. it's the same. You know, if you're if you're honest and genuine, it always it always works in your favor. Yeah, totally. It's true. It's true. What about a success? Because that was pretty fucking low. What about a, <laughs> bring, let's let's bring it back. What's your uh, favorite thing you figured out that you pulled out of the fire? You know, um, it was totally going south until like you know you had a eureka moment. Well, I don't have a favorite, but the one I can think of the most, I guess, was. We were working on, um, uh, I think it was a Jeep spot and Jeep ones are hard cause they launch everything globally. So it's like, it's not just like there's the Canadian, it's like literally if you do a Jeep thing, it's the, the world, but like all car spots, like you're at the mercy of the dude that they call to get the right car, the right headlights and the right <laughs> upgraded, whatever thing. Anyway, uh, it was when I was freelance, but I was, it was, it was the place I was doing online at. I think it was nice shoes in Toronto and uh, the producer, I think, came from Boston. Really nice guy, but he was really stressed. You could tell he was very stressed. And um, we we're supposed to deliver, I think, in a couple hours. Yeah, I think it was a couple hours. You know, I don't think he'd been eating, and he was he's all hangry and shit. So I went out and across the street to the Starbucks, and I bought him like a smoothie thing and like plunked it down in front of him. And I just looked at him. I was like, drink, because you could tell he was just stressed and just wasn't like he didn't even take the lunch order. He just was like, no. Anyway, that was just a normal stress of the job because there's lots of moving parts. But then literally, yeah, like two hours before it was to deliver, he's like, we're playing back. He's like, oh, fuck. Pause that. Pause that. And I'm like, uh, okay. And it's the wrong fucking model. So like one of the shots <laughs> had the wrong model car. And I was just like, oh, man, I'm not getting paid enough for this right now. And and I was like, okay, okay. So which one is it? Like, uh, blah blah blah. And we Google it, and it was completely wrong model. But it happened to be on a, a spot like where it was a profile of the car parallel parking and coming out. Like, uh, it was either going out and then going in. So I was like, while he's freaking out, I'm googling, and I got like, uh, I found an actual high res still of this the right color because it was the right color, and no one had noticed. And Jesus, and yeah, it uh, it actually. I got, was able to do like a 2D track and it fucking worked. <laughs> I just 2D tracked it and like graded it in and it worked. And he was just like, like walk away. That was more like, yeah, like from a, being able to pull a, like, you know, a piece of gold out of my ass at the last minute. That's, that, that's what that was. <laughs> Cause as he's, as I'm doing that, like the producers asked me, do you reckon you could do that? And I'm like, eh, this is not two hours. And it took like five minutes. I'm like, holy shit. I thought I thought projector horror was going to be that like yeah, you're, the title of your your autobiography, but no, I think pulling gold out of my ass, <laughs> the Joel Osis story. But yeah, I mean, there's the flame there's, story. There's jobs that like you know, the, the, there's one I got to work on recently that was like probably the the first time I've actually been like that was like I'm very proud of that job. Like uh, it was for the Olympics here, the COC thing, but it hasn't launched officially yet because of it happened around Corona, and I can't wait for that to launch because I'm gonna. Uh, it was just cool because I got to be a part of it from the start, like from the, the previs and the like the production shooting and then through COVID, but it was all like phantom 800 frames a second. These cool, these cool like portrait scenarios of people and their story. But that one, it was like, it was just, it wasn't painful through the process. It was cool. They trusted me through it. So it wasn't like a, you know, 
quickly figure this thing out you know mm-hmm. it's nice that one if i can when it launches i'll do some breakdowns too because it's pretty cool and painful but cool <laughs> those are the best ones are though man uh-huh it's true man have you uh have you enjoyed working from home have you found some silver lining in the in the darkness here i i actually do i really i miss the you know the the coffees and the lunches and the the, the obvious trolling the, opportunities. Yeah, exactly. You know, like the being able to just interact with people, being, you know, being able to um, fuck with Dave. Yeah. And everyone else. Oh, there's so many people, but even the bosses, I give shit. It's good. Um, but I actually, yeah, I, I feel more efficient in a way, but I also feel more available to people. So it's like a double-edged sword, you know, it's like I was saying the other day, I like that you can, um, see someone's name when you're on a zoom call and know their name instantly. I like that I'm getting more people drop into my session rather than, you know, just being there for the online or, um, like just being able to, like, I had a thing with another job I was just working on where uh, I use projectors cause I'm a projector whore for, <laughs> for, uh, McDonald's. And I did it so I could do a camera move on like a thing. So that as we went forward, we'd have parallax and the cups would, you know, you'd feel them more. It wouldn't just be a card because it was on a shelf thing. Mm-hmm. And we had to reframe for nine by 16. And, you know, when you have the projector and you parent it to the axes and move them, you're going to get different perspective, right? Unless you throw it away and restart it. So like, it was still, uh, it was still doable, but like, uh, that was the thing they said. They said, oh, this doesn't, why has it changed? Because also we had to move south. So because we moved south, we're showing different parts of the top and the bottom, right? Yep. And just being able to, say, Hey, just jump on my YouTube live now. And I just sent her a Google hangout. And I was like, look, this is why she's like, Oh my God, that makes total sense. Oh yeah, cool. That's fine. Then like little things like that, that would usually get lost in emails or translation. And you know, they just wouldn't get it. And they'd be like, I, I, that's what I like about this more is even if, I mean, when the world hopefully freaking opens back up, at least I, I, I really want to have a similar thing where I can like for now, I'm happy to keep going from home unless I have sessions and stuff, but like, I'd love to be able to still have that same thing to be able to spit out your, you know, your Kona out with an embedded audio to a YouTube thing for little things like that, that are just so much easier to show mm-hmm. rather than talk through, you know, or explain, that's Hey, really, this is why that's not going to work. You know, that's really interesting. I have not heard anybody uh, like kind of bridge the gap there and say that, you know, the, the, like they're looking forward to being able to do like a, a, a zoom or a, a YouTube, a live session essentially mm-hmm. with your client who can't be there as opposed to just a, you know, a, a, a posting. I, I just, think that's a hundred percent right. I, I, yeah, that's, that's, there's a, there's a, a, something that's completely transformative. Yeah. Thanks to this. Because again, lockdown. we're, we're just, it just, again, the hardest thing is having that interaction time. Most people don't have that time yeah. usually, you know? Oh, that's perfect. There's yeah, man. Oh, I can't believe it. Thank It's like the same aha moment I had yesterday <laughs> when you showed me alt double click was, uh, <laughs> was yeah, there are a hundred million times where I, if the client was only here and we were looking at this together, this would take two minutes as mm-hmm. opposed to 15 postings. Mm-hmm. Oh, and 100%. it's just so much easier. So yeah, like, again, I, I miss, I miss again, the interaction, but yeah, it's, uh, there's good stuff to come from all of this. I think, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's the right attitude and I feel the same way. Well, thank you very much, Joel. Cool. Thank you for having me. I, uh, I hope I wasn't too boring or, Vulgar? Are you kidding? Well, all right. You definitely weren't too boring. I can <laughs> give you that. 
No, man, this is great. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to, uh, seeing you again in person, having you at another like live user group, uh, just getting to hang out, but also seeing, you know, the, 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 uh, tutorials and the breakdowns and the, the new things you're going to share with everybody. That's always been, uh, you know, an absolute highlight. You're a highlight of the community and, uh, so, you know, thank you for nice that. Nice of you to say. Oh man. We'll take care. Awesome. And you know, fuck Dave, man. <laughs> fuck Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Thank you, Joel. And sorry, Dave. Be sure to check out Joel's episode of Logic Live at logic.tv. And while you're at it, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Once again, this episode of the Logic Podcast was sponsored by AJA. AJA develops an extensive range of solutions for the professional video and audio market, from conversion devices to IO solutions, digital recorders, cameras, and more. They make the best gear out there. So if you're looking for anything in the IO market, be sure to get it from AJA. You can see everything they have to offer at AJA.com. This episode is also sponsored by Cinesis Oceana. Find out more about their remote workflow solutions at Cinesis.io. Thanks everybody. See you next time.